who's ready for a little Jonah? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you know, Jonah, it's certainly more than just a quick children's story. It's more, I like that, it's more than a, the tale of a whale. Four chapters long, 58 verses in total, but it's a literary masterpiece. And I think sometimes it's easy to approach Jonah and just kind of see it there in the Old Testament. It's stuck there, kind of out of the blue, and read it independently of the rest of the scriptures. Like, hey, here's a story about a, a guy named Jonah and a big old fish. But it shouldn't be taken out of the blue. It's part of God's narrative to his people. Matter of fact, it's part of what we call the book of 12, 12 letters from the minor prophets that's found in the Hebrew Scriptures. And why is this important? For many reasons. But one of those reasons is God's Word, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, it's knit together like a beautiful tapestry. Some have even called it and kind of equated it to like a quilt. You ever seen a quilt? Anybody ever seen a quilt? You got all those little pieces of the quilt that come together to to really form this beautiful piece of art. And Jonah's part of that. And it's a, it's a part, he's a part of God's narrative that he communicates to his people about creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Remember those four from the Imago Day series? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Part of the reason why we did Imago before this was for that reason. It's God's story about how he created people and he gave them Eden. He gave us Eden. But man messed up. Sin entered into the world, and the fall happened. And ever since the fall, we've been trying to recreate Eden all on our own, and it don't work. And God knows that. He knows he needs to send a redeemer and a message of redemption and forgiveness for those who are willing to repent. That's the narrative of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament's important because without the Old, we wouldn't have the New. The Old Testament prophetically points to the New Testament, to the Redeemer, the ultimate Redeemer who would come, God's Son. His name is Jesus, and He redeems mankind and sets us free. And He's coming back. And when He does, He'll restore all things unto Himself. And for all of us who follow Jesus, we'll return to a place like the Garden of Eden for all of eternity. Jonah's a part of that. That's God's masterpiece. And as we go through Jonah, we need to keep that top of mind, that it fits in with all the other scriptures. We'll see this as we work through it. Even today, we'll see that. And so keep that top of mind. And you know, when I think, and I know I say this all the time, but when I think about how the Old Testament, the New Testament fit together, how God's Word fits together perfectly, for me, that's a faith builder. And I trust it is for you as well. You know, Jonah, it's there in the book of 12. It's uh, among the minor prophets. But it does kind of, it's a unique book of historical prophecy. There's no other prophetic book in the scriptures quite like Jonah. Because there's no long oracle, we'll see this in Jonah, there's no long oracle spoken through his messenger in the book of Jonah. Matter of fact, there's more of a focus. Jonah himself is, is a unique prophet because there's a focus on his rebellious nature. Him running away, disobeying God. Versus like the other prophets, there's more of a focus on their faithfulness. Yet in the midst of that, we're going to see that Jonah is more than just a stubborn prophet. (laughs) Oh yeah, there's more complexity, there's more depth to the man than saying he's just some old stubborn prophet. You see, 
King Jesus, during his ministry on planet Earth, he mentions four Old Testament prophets by name. Daniel, Isaiah, Zechariah, and Jonah. And there's just one, just one, that Jesus the Messiah identifies with. Jesus says this in Matthew 12, 40, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We know what Jesus is talking about. He's identifying himself with Jonah at some level. We know this is about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. You could say in some sense that Jonah is a resurrection prophet. And also notice in that verse how Jesus refers to Jonah not as some kind of allegorical hyperbole. He doesn't refer to Jonah as a parable. You see, why does he not refer to Jonah as a parable? Because he's not. He's a real person. He lived. He's a prophet. And the fish... It's a real fish. It's a real big fish, but it's a real fish. Why? Because this happened in history, just like it says in God's Word. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. And we'll also see, we'll see this today, we all can relate with this prophet Jonah. We all got a little Jonah in us, you know what I mean? We'll see that. And as much as this seems to be about Jonah, and he's certainly a major player, Ultimately, what we're going to see in the book of Jonah is the attributes of our great God and how he deals with his creation. You see, Jonah helps us just at some level understand how God thinks. And I hope, I hope you experience anew the greatness of God's mercy, his goodness, and his love. I hope by the time that we're done with Jonah... That we're all blown away by the grace of God and the depths of His grace because I know I have been in my study of this already. I have been. And as we go through Jonah, we're going to see seven major scenes. It's broken into seven major scenes. That's why we're spending seven weeks through it. And we'll go verse by verse through Jonah starting today, scene one, chapter one, verses one through three. So you grab your Bibles or check this out. You can grab a scripture journal. We're providing those for you once again. They're underneath the seats in front of you. I guess if you're in the front row, sorry guys, maybe you've got to go around back and get one. But we got scripture journals for you once again, and I encourage you to grab one. And, and just grab one for now. If you need an extra one for somebody that's not here, you can get that from the welcome desk because we need to save enough in the uh, seats here for service number two. Grab it. Make sure you use it. And you can open to page 12. Otherwise, you can also turn, of course, in your, in your Bibles to Jonah. You go to the Old Testament, naturally. Go to the end, Malachi, and then go left. Six books, you should land on Jonah. Like I said, we'll look at Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And I think today what I'll have you do, if you would, is as I read it, would you uh, read out loud along with me? We should have the the words on the screen as well. So I'll start and you uh, chime in with me if you would. Here we go. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare... He went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Good. Thank you. 
Well, we're going to jump in and do some OIA on this text today. And in case you're new with us, uh, we've been practicing OIA for probably the better portion of a year now. And OIA, once again, stands for Observation, Interpretation, and Application. If that's new to you, that's okay. On pages 6 and 7 of that scripture journal, you'll notice that we have the basics of OIA and some Bible study methods to help you with that. And we'll encourage you each week to study this on your own. And one of the things when we talk about observation, especially when we start a new book, is always to understand the context, understand what's taking place at this point in history. So I'm going to spend a lot of time doing that today, landing on verse 1. And let me just share some of the observations I made with you over the last week or two as I worked through this passage. I notated some of these things. They're in your worship guide as well as up here on the screen. First, I noticed a key place called the Great City of Nineveh. I also noticed how the Lord, all caps, is used three times. I saw the command go. Jonah is used twice. Tarshish three times. We'll talk about all this. And then the big thing that I really made note of is there's a, there's a command, a, a big command in verse 3 that's really repeated twice. First, Jonah, we see him run away from the Lord. Then at the end of verse 3, we see that he flees from the Lord. Jonah running away from the Lord, this is the thrust, this is the crux of the passage. The problem we're dealing with today is wrong way Jonah. Wrong way Jonah, and you know what? (laughs) I mentioned this earlier, we can all identify with Jonah a little bit. I think we all have a tendency to run the wrong way sometimes, don't we? As I thought about this whole area of running the wrong way, it reminded me of a football player named Jim Marshall. Now, here's the deal. You don't have to be a football fan to appreciate, I guess, at some level, the game and, and some of the athletes. But, and you also have to admit it's part of our American culture. Now, Jim Marshall may not be a familiar name to you, but let me tell you a little bit about Jim. He, uh, he played football in the 60s and 70s. He played for the Minnesota Vikings. He was part of, he was really the leader of a group of defensive people called the Purple People Eaters. You ever heard of these guys? You know they're tough when they got that kind of name. And let me tell you something about Jim Marshall. 19 seasons, this is unheard of for a defensive tackle. I don't think it will ever be matched. 19 seasons, 282 consecutive games, and he never missed a game. They say he never missed a practice. You hear that? A big deal. 130 sacks on his own, uh, NFL record of 30 recovered fumbles. But there's one thing Jim Marshall's known for, and he's in the top 10 sports center of not 10 top plays. A particular fumble recovery, well, check it out. And I had um, made, um, you know, the biggest mistake uh, you could probably make uh, in a football game. Myra straight back to pass, looking. Now stops, throws, completes it to Kilmer up at the 30-yard line. Kilmer driving for the first down, loses the football. It's picked up by Jim Marshall, who's running the wrong way. Marshall is running the wrong way, and he's running it into the end zone the wrong way. Thinks he scored a touchdown. He scored a safety. One of the 49er players came up and, and said, thanks, Jim, or something to that effect. Uh, you knew right away, uh-oh, well, you really messed up this time. Jim. You ran the wrong way. And his head just dropped it. His whole being dropped it. I, I liked how Fran Tarkenton there at the end is like, Jim, you ran the wrong way. You know what Jim's nickname was after that? Wrong way, Marshall. Like I said, today we're dealing with 
Wrong way, Jonah. So let's unpack these verses starting in verse 1. Notice the statement there is the word of the Lord came. There's Lord in all caps. Why? Maybe you know this. But it's really the Israeli way of stating God's divine name. They didn't want to pronounce it. They didn't spell it for us. We see it like this. It's Yahweh. Yahweh. Maybe you're familiar with that. And the fact that Jonah is referring to God as Yahweh is important, and we'll come back to that. And so the word of Yahweh came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now the Hebrew people, the Israelites, would have been very familiar with Jonah. Oh yeah, they would have known who Jonah was for sure. This isn't the first time he's mentioned in the Old Testament. If you go to 2 Kings 14.25, here's what we read about Jonah. It begins with this, he. The he in this verse is Jeroboam II, king of the northern tribe of Israel. That's who the he is. He, Jeroboam II, was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Labo Hamath to the Dead Sea. In accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. It's here in 2 Kings we're first introduced to Jonah, and there's a lot we can learn about him from this single verse. First, we know that Jonah is a prophet. He's a prophet who prophesied during the times of Jeroboam II. And Jeroboam II reigned in, in Israel from 786 B.C. to 746 B.C. So the events we're going to be reading about in Jonah, this really took place sometime around then in the 8th century B.C. Jonah's the son of Amittai. Really don't know anything about Amittai. But we know that he's from Gath-Hefer. This is in the region of Galilee. This makes Jonah a Galilean and one of the few prophets from the northern kingdom of Israel. And like I just mentioned, Jonah prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam. Jeroboam, bad, bad king, did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. So it's safe to say Jonah had a little experience prophesying around bad people and bad kings. But in this case, the king is his king, and he gets to tell the king something good, a good prophecy, that the borders of Israel are going to expand. And when the borders of Israel expand, that's a time of prosperity and pride. And so it's quite safe to say that Jonah is a prophet who, at some level, I'm sure he has some national pride. He cares about his people, his kingdom. And all of this is important to hold on to because it's building context for what we're going to study in Jonah. So a lot of this should be listed in your worship guide. Hold on to it. Plus, the author writing Jonah would assume that its readers would already know this. So make sure you keep this with you. Keep it close. And what is Jonah told to do? Check it out. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Great city of Nineveh. That word great, we're actually going to see it used 15 times in these 58 verses. You see, the author wants us to enter in to Jonah's world. They're bringing emphasis on the extraordinary events that took place. He wants us to be there. And part of the word great, or part of the way it's used, is to describe this city of Nineveh. Now, great city of Nineveh does not mean that it's great because they do a lot of good things and they're great neighbors. Oh, no. Great because of their influence, their size, at some level their location. You see, Nineveh was a part of the Assyrian nation. And for many years, it was the largest city. It was the capital city. It's safe to say it was kind of the center of civilization. 
It was located about 500 miles northeast of Galilee where Jonah was at. I think we might put up a map here for you. It was a little ways away, and uh, it's in the modern-day area of Iraq. Back then, and probably even today, if you were to walk from Galilee uh, over to Nineveh, it'd take about six weeks. I was looking on our own map here, uh, you know, looking at Billings, and and for us, it'd be pretty similar walking from Billings to uh, uh, Minot, North Dakota. Now, who wants to walk to Minot, North Dakota for six weeks? Raise your hand proud. Who wants to go to North Dakota? I'm just kidding. I shouldn't even go there. But that's kind of what it would be like. And, and for Jonah, he was called to go to Nineveh to preach against it. To preach against it. Why? Well, check it out. Look in, look in your Bibles. Look in the Scripture journals. Because their wickedness had come up before me, says God. He sends Jonah to preach against it because of their wickedness. We've got to talk a little bit about their wickedness. We've got to spend a minute or two on this. And, and I just want to tell you, I am not going to cover but 1% about what I read regarding the Assyrian and Ninevite people. I don't want to over-sensationalize what happened, but I also don't want to sanitize it too much either because we need to know what Jonah was facing. You see, the Assyrians, the Ninevites, they were cruel, brutal people. They made sport out of torturing people that they conquered and seeing how much they could inflict that kind of torture. They, 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 they would dismember people while they were living. They tortured women and children to death in front of fathers and brothers. They made an art and perfected skinning people alive. And they use people's skins to decorate their homes, and I will stop there. I think you get the picture. Cruel, wicked. And it was in the 19th century that archaeologists unearthed Nineveh. And there they found, they dug up palaces, and inside the palace walls, you know what they found? They found, they found reliefs. They found paintings of exactly what I just described to you that showed what they did to the people they conquered. It was there. Why? Because the kings, those who came into the palace, every day they wanted to be reminded of their brutality and their grotesque violence. They reveled in it. Historians say that this point in time in mankind's history might be some of the most gory, blood-curdling time in all times. And the Assyrian reign of terror lasted for 250 years. From about 863... 883 B.C. to 612. And in the middle of that is Jonah. In the middle of that is, is, is Jonah. And on one of those paintings, one of those reliefs within the walls there of the palace showed a painting of Israelite people being impaled on poles. 722 B.C., the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by the Assyrians. And Jewish historians believe that the Ninevites were sent to do raids before that took place, sent to Israel. And these historians also believe that Jonah, Jonah, is the survivor of one of those raids. Let's go to verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. 
Do you blame them? All of a sudden, we recognize Jonah's a little bit more than just this ordinary prodigal prophet, stubborn prophet than maybe we thought before. Could you imagine if he'd have seen, he knew what the Assyrians did, and he'd seen that done to his people? Do you blame him? What would you do? Yeah. Yeah. We see a little bit more to Jonah all of a sudden. You know, and throughout this past week, earlier in the week, I was thinking about kind of some modern-day illustrations of this. I had a lot of thoughts, but one that came to the top of mind and, and uh, I wanted to use is, could you imagine if somebody in Israel today went into the Gaza Strip? This is what I was thinking about earlier this week. And, and they went into the Gaza Strip and, and preached a message that 40 days in this nation will be overturned. Can you imagine how that would go for that individual? Not very well. This is what I was thinking about. And then, I'm sure you've seen the news, what's been taking place in that region in Israel over the last 48 hours. The Hamas, Gaza Strip, launched thousands of rockets, and last I checked, late last night, at least 300 Israeli lives have been lost. At least 1,000 have been injured, and many taken as hostages. So, I think it's appropriate for us right now. Would you join me and let's pray for Israel? God, we're a long ways away, yet we feel at some level what's happening. I don't even know what to pray. Other than, God, would you protect the people there? Would they experience your presence? Father, Pray for all those families that have been affected, lost loved ones. Pray for those hostages. Would you miraculously help those hostages be delivered? God, would you give Israel your wisdom, your strength, your fortitude as they defend themselves, their country, against this militant attack? Father, thank you. Thank you that we can stand with Israel, and may we always stand with them as your people. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Keep praying for them, would you? I know I have been. But now, this discussion about the Assyrians and, and even what's kind of taken place in the world over the last couple of days, all of a sudden... We've got a little bit more context, don't we, of what's taking place for Jonah. All of a sudden, we can see this massive assignment that God has given Jonah. Could you imagine? And just think about the fact that God gives Jonah this assignment. That says something about Jonah, doesn't it? More to the man than meets the eye, for sure. I mean... If I'm Jonah, and I'm sure he's thinking this, God, why don't you give me another assignment? Nahum, who's going to come after Jonah, he gets to prophesy. It's a book in the Old Testament, Minor Prophets. He gets to prophesy the whole book about the destruction, doom, and conquering of the Ninevites. Give me that assignment, right? That's probably what Jonah's thinking. If he knew that was going to happen, that's not. His assignment is go there and preach against it. There's one other thing I want to mention about that opening statement there in verse 3, how Jonah ran away. 
Notice he's running away from the Lord. The text doesn't say he's running away from Nineveh. He's running because he's scared. He's running because he's afraid he's going to die. As a matter of fact, we're going to see Jonah. He invites death a few times throughout this book. Not why he's running away. He's running away from the Lord. He's running away from the call that the Lord gives him to go to Nineveh and preach against it. Those words preach against it in verse 2. At first they may seem like, okay, uh, there's not a whole lot of mercy and grace in that statement. Preach against it. Oh, but yet, wait. You see, Jonah knew full well that God wants to give the Ninevites advance warning. Jonah knew full well that God was going to allow and give the Ninevites an opportunity to repent. And in Jonah's mind, this doesn't add up. God, how can you be merciful to those people? I know what they've done to my people. I know what they're capable of. God, you got this one wrong. And I'm not about it. And I'm not going to, there's no way I'm going to dispense your mercy to these people. So he runs the other way. Let me ask the question again. Do you blame him? You see, God's teaching Jonah, and it's a lesson for all of us about his mercy. Oh, yes. He's just. Judgment comes to the unrepentant. Oh, yeah. But the lesson is about his mercy, the depths of his mercy. That's available for all nations and all people who are willing to repent and turn to the one true God. This is difficult sometimes. This is hard to wrap our minds around sometimes, isn't it? I mean, if we were to be real, 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 honest about it, I think we probably all got people that we can think of in the world, maybe people in our lives that are kind of like Ninevites to us. People that are like, you know, that person, those people, they don't even deserve any chance, even any opportunity, God, to receive your mercy in their life. And maybe it's people that aren't that far away. Maybe it's the neighbor across the street, that person that thinks differently, that acts differently, that votes differently. God, they don't even deserve the opportunity to receive your mercy. But you know what? At the end of the day, none of us do, Right? None of us have deserved the mercy and grace of God for what we've done. And I think you know I'm not talking about a lack of accountability or consequences. No, people need to be held accountable, need to be responsible for their behaviors. But I know, I know. There's been times in Paul McClintock's life where God's called me to show mercy to somebody. And I thought, no, you got that one wrong. I'm going to run away. I don't, I don't want to, I don't think so. He's called, at times he's called me to show mercy to somebody who's done far, 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 far less than the Ninevites. I know there's been times in my life he's called me to show mercy to somebody who's hurt my feelings, who's offended me, who's hurt my pride in some way, and they didn't even know it. It was just an accident. But in a sense, I made him my Ninevites, and I ran the wrong way. Maybe you're in a place where God's calling you to extend mercy to somebody in your life. Perhaps they offended you in some small way. Maybe it was a social media post. Who knows? 
Maybe there's somebody in your life who has hurt you much, much more deeply and profoundly than that. And God's calling you to show mercy to that person. You know, showing mercy doesn't mean necessarily we become best friends. It may, may mean you never even see the person. You may never even talk to them. But it means forgiving them in your heart. It means coming to a place in your life, in your heart, where you can say, God, I'm okay with whatever you do with them. Let your will be done in their life. I know this is difficult teaching. I know this is hard. This is challenging. You know what? It's actually impossible. It's impossible apart from Christ. It's impossible when we run the wrong way. It's only made possible when we run to God and experience His grace through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. And the more we run after Jesus by spending time in His Word and in prayer, the closer we follow Him as our King and surrender to Him, the more we're going to be filled up with His Spirit. That's where grace comes from. That's where it comes from. And then we can be dispensers of God's grace. But when we run the wrong way, the further we run, the more we get lost. And for Jonah, he's running a Tarshish. He's running a Tarshish. And when you look at verse 3, back to the, the Scriptures, you can't help but notice how there's a flurry of verbs in it. Like, Jonah runs away, he goes down to Joppa, he finds a ship, he pays a fare, he sails to Tarshish. There's all these verbs, there's this picture being painted because the author wants us again to enter in and go down with Joppa. Go down to Joppa with Jonah. He wants us to get aboard the ship. And there's something else about this. You can see Jonah is being very deliberate, very intentional. This is premeditated. You know, when we showed that clip of Jim Marshall running the wrong way, it was a mistake. He ran the wrong way. He went to an end zone. He saw the goalpost and he took off. But Jonah knew what he was doing here. He had a plan. He was executing the plan. And it's interesting how we see that word down. He goes down to Joppa there in verse 3. It's interesting because after he pays the fare, we're told that he goes aboard the ship. The original Hebrew language, that's translated as going down into the ship. As a matter of fact, the ESV translation says that he goes down into it. You see, this downward language I don't think is a mistake. Down to Joppa, down into the ship. Physically, literally, Jonah's going down, and he's going down spiritually as well. And he's sailing for a place called Tarshish. Tarshish is mentioned a lot in the Old Testament. I believe it's like 26 different times. And not always in a positive light. Not always in a positive light. Psalm 48.7 says this, You destroyed them like ships of Tarshish, shattered by an east wind. It was also a place of great riches, Tarshish was. It was loaded with silver, gold, precious gemstones. King Solomon, as a matter of fact, he, he, he built his temples in his courtyard using materials from Tarshish. He had a fleet that would go there. 1 Kings 10.22 says this, The king had a fleet of trading ships at Solomon at sea along with the ships of Haram. Once every three years it returned carrying gold, silver, and ivory, and apes, and baboons. Tarshish! Jonah's running <laughs> to this land of prosperity, gold, silver, He's running there, and he's running from the presence of Yahweh. And this begs the question, all right, Jonah's a prophet. Does he really think that he can run from the presence of God? 
Does he, think he can, does he think he can flee from God? I mean, surely he must have known Psalm 139. I'm, I bet he had it memorized. Where the psalmist says, where can I go to flee from your presence? I can't go to the highest, to the lowest, to the far ends of the sea. You are there with me. Your spirit is with me. Come on, Jonah must have known this. What's he thinking? You see, he's running from Israel. He's running from his people. He's running from the temple he served in. He's running from the place where he most clearly would have heard from the Lord. He's running from the place where he most clearly would have heard from the Lord, and maybe he's hoping that God would pick another prophet to send to Nineveh. He's running to the farthest place west that was known to him to flee from the voice of God in his life. He's running to Tarshish. He's running to be preoccupied, to drown out the voice of God in his life. He's running to a place full of gold and silver to drown out the voice of God. In a way, he's trying to create his own Eden. That's what he's doing. You know, that's kind of what sin does, doesn't it? It has a spiral effect. Remember I made that comment in the beginning. Sometimes we all got a little Jonah in us, don't we? He's fleeing to this culture, the farthest culture west, who doesn't know Yahweh, doesn't worship Him, doesn't honor Him, to try to, to try to really immerse himself in this culture to drown out the voice of God. He's going down. He's going down spiritually as he runs for the presence of God. And it's easy to sit here and talk, ah, Jonah, wrong way, Jonah, wrong way, Jonah. But like I mentioned earlier, like I just said, we all got a little Jonah in us sometimes, don't we? Tendency to run the wrong way. So what I'd like to ask you to do right now, if you'd be willing to do this between you and the Lord, it's really not all that private. I mean, there's a little blank at the bottom of your worship guide. And it says, wrong way, would you write your name down on that blank? I'll tell you, I wrote my name down. Write it down as a reminder. A reminder that we got a little Jonah in us from time to time. We all have a tendency sometimes to run the wrong way. So go ahead and write your name down there if you would. But it doesn't end there. You know, Jonah doesn't end after three verses. Oh, God could have written him off and said, I'm done with you. But in God's mercy, he pursues this prodigal prophet. There's more to the story Jonah gets back into the game. He's not perfect. But the fact that there's 55 more verses we're going to be looking at is a demonstration of the depths of God's grace. You know, earlier we talked and kind of had a good chuckle about Jim Marshall. Well, you know, you may not know this, but he got back into the game. It wasn't the end of the story for him either. He got back into the game. Check it out. Interestingly enough, in that game... Because Marshall was the hero of that game. Because he caused, he stripped George Myra of the football, causing a fumble, and Carl Eller uh, got the fumble for the touchdown that won the game for Minnesota. What really helped me through that whole thing was the fans. A lot of the people have, have come up to me and, 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 and talking seriously about this and said, you know, we really have a lot of respect for you, uh, you know, continuing on after that and, 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 and doing as well as you, as you did and playing as long as you played. People look back and think, think to themselves, if someone only knew, you know, a certain mistake that I made that was huge that I've covered up, 
you know, like they know this guy's mistake, you know, uh, you know how would I feel? What would, what would my life be like? Did you catch, I'm going to say that again. Did you catch what he said there at the end? If people knew the mistake that I've made, instead of covering up, how would I feel? What would my life be like? Here's the question I want to leave with you, with me, with all of us. Are you running the wrong way? Is there an area in your life where you're running the wrong way? If so, if so, well, maybe it's time to get back into the game and run the right way by following Jesus and running after Jesus. Let's pray. With head bowed and eyes closed, let's spend a moment running to Jesus right now. You know, I, uh, I was probably about seven or eight. I don't even remember how old I was, but I remember the day that God started to change my life because I had a Sunday school teacher who told us about the story of Jonah and the big fish, and you know I was hooked right then and there. But he also talked about how Jonah ran the wrong way, and we all run the wrong way, and I knew that I'd been running the wrong way at some, some level in my little brain I knew. And God planted his word in my heart and he began to water it. And I know later that week, I believe with my mom, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And my life has never been the same. And I want to give you that opportunity this morning. If, you, if you're here and you know you've been running the wrong way, and God today is calling you from death to life in his son Jesus Christ, I just ask, would you slip up your hand right now? Maybe make eye contact with me. We got to celebrate earlier. People who made that decision, all right, praise the Lord. You just cry out to Jesus, ask him for his forgiveness, tell him you're sorry and you want to begin to follow him. Maybe you're here and you've been running the wrong way and kind of covering it up, looking good in church, and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ as your king. Let today be that day. Maybe you're here today and God's calling you your eyes closed, your head bowed, God's calling you to extend mercy to somebody in your life. And the Spirit's convicting you of that today. If that's you, would you slip up your hand right now? Commit to the Lord that you will trust Him in that. It's a bold step. It's tough. It's hard. It's impossible apart from Jesus. Maybe you're here today and You've been running the wrong way, chasing things that glitter, gold, the dollar, being preoccupied, and kind of crowding out the voice of God in your life, not spending any time in His Word, in the Scriptures, or in prayer. Let today be the day that you commit to doing that and making time for Him. I'll give you a moment to do that right now. Thank you, Jesus, that you made time for us. Amen. Could I ask you to please stand before you leave this place? I would invite you, if you're here, and you could use prayer. 
For anything maybe we talked about or anything else going on in your life, it's a privilege for us to pray with you. I'll be up front. There'll be other pastors. Invite you to take advantage of that. Again, it's a privilege for us. And let me just say this before you, uh, before you run out of here. Let me just say this for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and bring you peace. Leave, may you experience God's peace, and may you experience the depth of God's grace this week in your life. Love you guys. Have a great week.